once again, Cedar Street Baptist Church, I love you very much, and it's the joy of my heart to be with you here this morning as we open up God's Word. If, uh, if you weren't here last week, let me catch you up real quickly, okay? God put it upon my heart several weeks ago to lead us into a new sermon series that I've entitled, Growing in the Presence of God. And the question that I asked last week was this. Last week I asked, what does it mean that you're living in the presence of God? And we talked about the two distinct dimensions of living in God's presence. There's the sovereign ruling presence of God, which means God is everywhere at all times. Even atheists who tried to deny it can't. That God is here and there and everywhere, past, present, and future, heaven and hell. God is everywhere at all times. So there's the sovereign ruling presence of God as he rules the universe. But there's also the fatherly relational presence of God. And not all of us enjoy that because that comes with conditions. That comes through faith. And even if you are a Christian and have faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, you grow in that relationship by exercising your faith. And there are things that you can do to draw closer to God and have him draw closer to you. So the whole purpose of this sermon series, Growing in the Presence of God, is for us to seek and enjoy and consciously do things that will help us to draw closer to the presence of God, have him draw closer to us, and enjoy more of a sweetness of his presence in our daily life. I shared with everyone last week that this was not on my radar several weeks ago when I prayed about what God would have me preach in the new year. But in late November, as I was walking through the Psalms in my devotional time, my heart was gripped. And it was gripped with a specific verse that we're actually going to look at today in Psalm 16. Uh, and it just changed, and it's made me hungry to want to know the presence of God in my life in a way that I've not known it before. I want that for me, and I want that for everybody in this room. So last week we talked about the two distinct dimensions of God's presence. Again, that He's sovereign ruling God, that He's everywhere at all times, but that He's a relational Father for those of us who've placed our faith in Him. That was last week as the portrait of God's presence. This week, the title of our message is The Potential of God's Presence. We're going to be reading Psalm 16, but we're going to be looking specifically at verse 11. And before we do that, to set the tone, here's something to think about. If you made it to heaven and all your friends and family are there, what God was not, could you be happy for all of eternity? I want you to be honest and I want you to think about this. Pretend that you die. And you did have faith and you were saved and you go to be in the kingdom of God forever. And all your family that you lost was there. And all your friends that you lost were there. But when you showed up, God wasn't there. Could you be happy for all of eternity? Now, I asked that question to a coworker of mine when I worked at Pineland Telephone. And it was one of the blessings of my life. He answered that question one way when I first asked him. And years later, he was actually a member here at Cedar Street for a very short time. His name was Chad. I don't know if you guys remember Chad and Kathy or Chad and Katie Mayu. By the time he left Cedar Street Baptist Church, years later, he gave me a completely different answer. When I first asked him back in 2010, he said, yeah, I think I could be happy. I mean, if I got all my friends and all my family, yeah, you know, I, I think I could find happiness. And then in 2000, and I guess it was 13 when he left for uh, New Orleans, Louisiana, he said to me, Bo, I've thought about the question you've asked me a thousand times. I'd be miserable for all of eternity if I was in a heaven without God. 
Because here's the thing that I struggle with. When I first became a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, I did what most believers do. I tried to fill my brain with as much information that I could understand about the Bible and understand about God. The problem is I went to the wrong places to fill my mind. Again, maybe you've heard me uh, behind the pulpit mention this a few times, but I'm not a big fan of Christian television because nine out of every ten preachers is not preaching that book. Now, there are some, okay, there are some who are. I love me some David Jeremiah and some Charles Stanley, right? Adrian Rogers and Chuck Swindoll. There's some great teachers on television and radio, but nine out of every ten that I have come across aren't preaching that book. And here's what they're telling you. Put your faith in Jesus Christ and you'll have all the desires of your heart. And those desires will be more money, a better job, a happier marriage, uh, fill in the blank, this, 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 and this. Have Jesus and you'll get this. What I want to say today is have Jesus and you'll have Jesus. And Jesus is better than all of this. And so as we put our faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and we seek a greater sweetness of his presence, what I want to talk about today, the title, The Portrait of God's Presence, or today being the, the potential of God's presence, I want to talk about the fact that when we draw closer to God, there's a greater fullness of our joy and a greater pleasure in our life than we could ever have if God was not there, but he gave us everything else we thought we ever wanted. Jesus is the blessing. He is the blessing. And that's what I want us to look through here today. So if you have a Bible, please turn with us to the book of Psalms. We're going to be in Psalm 16. Psalm 16, and as you're turning, I'm going to give you the big idea. Okay, here's what I want us to see as we walk through Psalm 16, specifically in verse 11. In one sentence, I'd like to say, our highest potential of lasting joy is not based on God's blessings, but simply on God's presence. Simply on God's presence. Again, we're in Psalm 16. If you don't have a Bible, please grab the Pew Bible in front of you, page 535 in your Pew Bible. And if you would stand at this time, out of the reverence of the reading of God's holy, infallible, inerrant word, I'm going to read all 11 verses, but then when we zero in with the microscope, we're going to look specifically at verse 11. Psalm 16, starting in verse 1, hear God's word to us. Preserve me, O God, for in you I take refuge. I say to the Lord, you are my Lord. I have no good apart from you. As for the saints in the land, they are the excellent ones in whom is all my delight. The sorrows of those who run after another God shall multiply. Their drink offerings of blood I will not pour out or take their names on my lips. The Lord is my chosen portion and my cup. You hold my lot. The lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. Indeed, I have a beautiful inheritance. I bless the Lord who gives me counsel, and the night also my heart instructs me. I have set the Lord always before me, because he is at my right hand, I shall not be shaken. Therefore, my heart is glad, and my whole being rejoices. My flesh also dwells secure, for you will not abandon my soul to Sheol, or let your Holy One see corruption. Now here's verse 11, we're going to focus on this one. You make known to me the path of life. In your presence there is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, 
We love you. Father, I stand before your people with your book and I confess to you this world is so deceptive and our hearts are so easily deceived by it. There are so many things calling for our attention, calling for our hearts. Father, all of us in this room want to have joy in our lives, but we're looking everywhere but you for it. I'm as guilty as anybody in this room. Father, would you be with us? Would you make your word real to us? Would you open up our hearts and minds to receive the truth of this word and respond to it in repentance and faith in your son and more intentionality in seeking your presence? Father, I beg you for your presence in this room right now. I pray your precious Holy Spirit would anoint every word that's spoken. Reach down to the deepest part of us, Father, and let us know what it is to be in the fullness of joy when we're in the fullness of your presence. It's in Jesus' name we pray, and God's people said, amen. If you're very careful when you read the Scripture, specifically the Psalms, if you stop at the very beginning of the Psalm, before it begins, you'll see who wrote it. And uh, contrary to popular belief, David did not write all the Psalms, but he did write a very good amount of them. And David certainly is the author of this one. But there's a very unique word. Most of your Bibles will say this. It will say a miktam of David. That word is a special word. In fact, most theologians say that word means golden. And so a lot of theologians call Psalm 16 the golden psalm. This is the crown jewel of David's psalms. Because in this psalm, he is talking about how the Lord will not abandon his soul. He's talking about his faith in the Lord, and he's foreshadowing the resurrection of Jesus Christ. So as I walk through this, there's really two aspects of the psalm that I want to mention as we're going through verse 11, because that's the verse we're going to zero in on. All right, first, there's, a, there's an eternal heavenly presence of God that we have uh, promised to us when we go to be with him in his heavenly kingdom. But then there's an earthly present day presence that we can experience right now if we're Christians. All right. And so as we walk through each part of verse 11, I'm going to highlight the eternal heavenly presence of God that he promises us, but the present day earthly presence that God promises us as well. One of the things that I, I, I want to be intentional about, and I'm scared for Christians, including myself, when we talk about being in the presence of God, we talk about it as a future event. You will see God and know God and experience Him in the heavenly kingdom, and now you're just working, 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 preparing for the day you get to be with Him. Well, that's true, but it's incomplete. It's incomplete in that to say that we'll be with God there, but we can't experience God here. That's false. Now, we will not experience all that God has for us until we are in His heavenly kingdom. All right, the Bible says what we know now in part, then we'll know in full. Right now, we're looking through a glass dimly lit, and we're seeing, we're seeing echoes of what we're finally going to be able to see in heaven forever. But can I tell you something? We can, still see, we can still hear the echoes, and we can still see the shadows right now, and the echoes are what brings us the joy that we're looking for on this side of heaven. We're looking, every, we're looking everywhere for it. We want to be happy. You can't avoid that. So why not look in God's Word to show us how we can maximize the opportunity to experience joy in this world in the presence of God. So I want to mention three things from Psalm 16, verse 11. And again, as I walk through all three points, I'm going to show you 
what it means for us when we go to heaven, but what it means for us right now here on earth. All right? And the first of those three things is this. According to verse 11, the path of life is found in God's presence. The path of life is found in God's presence. First part of verse 11 says this. You make known to me the path of life. Now, what does that mean for our time in heaven? And what does that mean for our life right now? Well, first of all, the eternal path, the path that leads to eternal life in God's kingdom, is what happens when we're in the presence of God and the Holy Spirit opens our eyes and enables us to see for the very first time that we are sinners who need to be saved. You cannot understand the nature of your sin, the need of a Savior, and the need that was met through the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. You can't know that until the Holy Spirit of God draws you in, removes the blinders from your eyes, and as it says in Ezekiel, takes out a heart of stone and replaces it with a heart of flesh. That's an act of God. And how does that happen? It happens through the preaching of the Word. So right now, I'm standing up here and I'm preaching God's Word and I'm begging the Spirit of God to move in people's lives. And some of you are hearing me speak right now and God is either, if you are a Christian, He's inside of you and He's opening up your eyes even further. And if you're not a Christian right now, I'm begging God to move. But you also have a responsibility. As God does move, you're called to repent and place your faith in Jesus Christ. And if you do... The Bible says that you will become a new creature. All right? You will be saved, is what we say as Baptists. And when you are saved, you are promised eternal life in God's eternal kingdom. And in that kingdom, you will be in his physical presence, and you will see him for who he is. And you will gather around his throne and cry out, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God and the Lamb. And you will find out why it is God created you to love him and to worship him. And your joy will be complete. That's heaven. What about right now? Maybe you are a Christian and you are saved. But you're not walking along the path of life. Because every decision you make brings a piece of life or death. A piece of light or darkness, a piece of truth or falsehood, a piece of righteousness or sin. And when you're close to God, he shows you the decisions that bring life and he warns you about the decisions that bring death. You ever notice this is a perfect correlation? People who are not in church and not in the word of God and not in prayer those are the ones that typically make decisions that lead them further away from God. It's a perfect correlation every time. Somebody who is in the, in the church, Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night, in the Bible, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, in prayer every single day, loving their wives, serving in their jobs, doing all those things. They, they typically make better decisions because God is in their presence and he's leading them across the path of life. So there's the eternal path that leads us to salvation, but there's the day-to-day -day path of life that we will know what God wants us to do when we draw close to Him and we listen to Him. Do you know why every week, as awkward as it sometimes feels, I lead us into silence in this room? It is not just for the sake of doing it. It's because we have gotten ourselves in one busy mess and we're just not quiet enough to hear God. But when we're quiet, 
and the Holy Spirit can bring to your mind things that you've said, thought, or done that did not obey the will of God, and you can confess that. Once you're quiet and you've been cleansed, you are a vessel that God can speak to. You're a vessel that God can draw close to. And in that time, you will hear God speak and see God lead you to make the decisions that he wants you to make. Whenever we've gotten in a pickle and we've made a decision that we shouldn't have made, I can almost always guarantee it's because we haven't spent time in the presence of God. In your presence, God, there is the path of life. He leads us into light and not darkness. He leads us into life and not death. I, as I was praying through, I, these words just came to my heart. I just, as I was writing this, I said, the, the closer we are to God's presence, the more often we will choose the path that keeps us close to Him. In His presence, we know what is most important, what is real, and what is lasting, and what is required of us as followers of Jesus Christ. So we need to draw close to Him. Because number one, again, the path of life is found in God's presence. You know, I'll share this illustration before I move. This uh, is sobering for me, actually. There was a man in, uh, in the Rocky Mountains named Forrest Fenn, F-E-N-N. Forrest Fenn is a poet and a multimillionaire. And several years ago, he buried a treasure, a treasure worth over $2 million with a ton of jewels and gold. And he buried it somewhere in the Rocky Mountains. And then he wrote a poem that gave a clue on where to find it. Story, uh, the news has reported recently that more than 60,000 people have tried to find that treasure. And recently they found a man who was a pastor from Colorado who died trying to find the treasure. He went where he should not have gone, seeking something that he did not need. And he lost his life. He sacrificed his family. He sacrificed his church, seeking $2 million in gold and jewels. Now, I don't know if this Forrest Fenn character actually did put $2 million somewhere in the Rocky Mountains. 60,000 people think he did. But what I will say is this. There is a path that leads to life, and that ain't one of them. We, are, we have roadmaps in our hand, and we're all seeking after what we think is going to bring us the highest amount of happiness. And the Bible says over and over and over, Jesus is the source. Jesus is the source. Jesus is the source. And what everyone is saying is, okay, Jesus, I'm going to come to you so that you can give me something else. And Jesus is saying, no, I am the source. Not what I can give you, but who I am. The path of life is found in God's presence. And it leads to Jesus Christ. Number two, the fullness of joy is found in God's presence. Isn't that what the next part of the verse says? In your presence, there is fullness of joy. Now let's take a look at that heavenly. And let's take a look at that earthly. Okay, first of all, heavenly. In your presence, there's fullness of joy. When you die, okay, and I'm just going to, because my brother is still on my heart this morning, I'm going to mention Monty Tillman, okay? The moment that Monty Tillman's spirit exited from his body, he entered into the spiritual presence of God. And he experienced a joy that we cannot fully understand on this side of heaven. In the moment that he came into the full presence of God, he experienced probably a lightning bolt moment that we all will experience of saying, 
this is what I was created for. This is what my life has been missing. This fills in all the cracks. This fills in all the gaps. I was created for a relationship with God, and now my relationship is complete. In your presence, there's fullness of joy. That means for those of us who are saved, when we go to be with God in heaven, for the very first time, we are going to say, I am fully and completely satisfied. There is no way that my joy could possibly increase. I can't wait for that moment. That's promised to us in heaven. Here's the danger. The danger is thinking, I'm not going to have the joy that God has for me until I get there. All right, there is a greater fullness that we will not experience until we are in his heavenly kingdom. But, oh, there are lasting joys that he offers to us down here for the very same reason, more of his presence. Can I tell you something from the bottom of my heart? The thing that you're wrestling with right now, if you didn't have that in your life, you probably still wouldn't be any happier than you are right now. You don't need more money. You don't need a better job. Now, you may want a better job and God may give you a better job. But your lack of joy or happiness in this world is not because of who you work for. It's not because of what your bank account says. Our relation to God will also be the relation that we have to lasting joy. And I say the word lasting because there's a lot of really quick, temporary, non-lasting pleasures that you can have if you disobey God. But they're shallow. They're not going to last very long. You can't go contrary to the will of God and experience lasting joy because God didn't wire you for that. He did not wire you for that. Uh, You know, one of the great doctrines of the Christian faith, one of the great documents, I should say, is the Westminster Catechism. And I have a couple of former Presbyterians in here who've probably read it a few times. And I can take a page from our Presbyterian brothers and sisters. The very beginning of that catechism says this, the chief end of man is to glorify God and enjoy Him forever. Have you ever thought about the purpose of your life is to enjoy God? I mean, stop and think about that. It doesn't sound, it doesn't sound like something we talk about at church all the time. We are, we're here to worship God. We're here to serve God. But enjoy God? I, I would venture to say that when you know Him and you love Him and you serve Him and you worship Him, you will enjoy Him. You will enjoy God. That's the purpose of your life. When you enjoy God, it puts everything else in place. And here's the the deal. Every human being is hardwired for happiness. You cannot not choose what you think will make you happy. You can't not choose it. You're hardwired every single time to choose what will make you happy. You may have to choose something that denies happiness up front, but it's because you want something more down the line. I'll tell you what I mean. Some of you are in church today, and when you woke up this morning, it was not the joy of your heart to get dressed and come in here. All right, let's be honest, right? You're tired. All right, for those of you who are football fans, probably watched the uh, AFC Divisional game all the way up to about 11.30. Some of you are still on Georgia Bulldog hangover. Okay, I, I understand completely. And the thought of hitting the alarm this morning... Maybe, maybe to your heart, the, the, the immediate happiness was turning the alarm off and rolling over. But you got out of bed and you came here 
And so you say, well, there's your proof there, Bo. I can pursue something that doesn't make me happy. I came here even though I would have been happier in bed. No, you came here because there's still a lasting happiness that you're seeking. You want God to bless you. You want to come here and experience his presence. You want to come here and know him in a greater way. And so that overrode your desire to roll over. Some of you have made commitments to teach Sunday school classes, and that brought you here today. Nothing wrong with that. All right, there's days where the commitment of preaching God's word keeps me coming on Sunday mornings when the, when the bed seems awful comfortable. But there's always some greater purpose of why we make every decision we make. You cannot not choose happiness. You can't. In fact, I read this quote several weeks ago, but it fits perfectly with our message here today. Blaise Pascal, uh, the, the French philosopher, said this. He said, all men seek happiness. This is without exception. Whatever different means they employ, they all tend to this end. The cause of some going to war and others avoiding it is the same desire in both attended with different views. The will never takes the least step but to this object. Happiness is the motive of every action of every man, even those who hang themselves. When people commit suicide, they're still pursuing happiness. What they're saying is this world no longer has the happiness that I seek. And so I'm going to go seek it by getting out of this world. Can't avoid it. You're, you're hardwired to pursue happiness. So why not take a page out of his book and instead of looking at a roadmap for a $2 million treasure in the Rocky Mountains, look to the roadmap to the true source of happiness. God does not turn away those who seek him because they want to be happy. He says, come and enjoy me because I'm where happiness is. Fullness of joy is where his presence is. In fact, This helped me tremendously when I was a young Christian. So when I first became a believer and I, and I would read the scriptures and God would create human beings and then command them to come and worship him. It makes God sound arrogant, doesn't it? And think about human beings. Let's say your parents, say you were born, your parents conceived you and you were born and they created you for the simple point of coming to them to tell them how great they are all the time. You'd say something's really out of whack about that. But let me tell you what I've understood in a a greater way. God is the infinite source of awesome. There's nothing higher and more greater and more majestic and more beautiful and more powerful. And so when God created us to, to come and worship him, it's an invitation to enjoy him. He's saying, I'm so great. I don't want to keep myself all to myself. I want to create this creature who's going to come and enjoy me and my happiness will increase because I'll have this, these, these created beings who will also enjoy me. They will enjoy me and we'll, enjoy, and, and t- we'll be together forever. Now, let me say this about God. He doesn't need us. He's fully content in the Trinity, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. He has perfect joy, perfect peace, perfect happiness. He has everything he needs. He doesn't need us, but boy, do we need him. We need Him. And the more that we have of Him, the more joy that we will have in our lives. That does not mean, contrary to what some of those television preachers are preaching, that does not mean the more of God you have, the less problems you'll have. I'll say since I became a Christian, I have a lot more problems than I did before I became a Christian. You know what it means? It means what Greg Tucker sang. In the midst of the storm, the anchor holds because the presence of God is with you. And we need that. We so desperately need it. So why is it so hard 
If we know that God's the source of all joy, then why is not everyone making a beeline to Him with everything we have? Well, if, we're, if we want to be happy, and we can't avoid not wanting to be happy, and we know that God's the source of all happiness, then why are we not all standing in line begging God to come and be a part of our lives? Two reasons. Sin blinds us, and a spiritual relationship takes a whole lot of work. All right, first, sin. Sin will take what is false and tell you that it's true. Sin, I think of sin every time I watch TV and I see commercials. Commercials over and over and over are saying, your life is empty because you don't have this product. But the new and improved this product is everything that you've been waiting for. And when you have this new and improved product, your life will be all that it was supposed to be. All right, commercials lie to us. They're deceptive. But so are the sins of our lives. Sins tell us, do you know how good this would feel? Do you, know, do you know how much you would enjoy this? Just do it. I mean, think of Satan in the garden. God knows, Adam and Eve, when you eat that tree, you're going to be like God. And all of a sudden, Adam and Eve are saying, God's withholding something good from us. Why don't we listen to Satan instead? Sin will deceive you into thinking what is wrong is actually right. And the second part is a spiritual relationship takes work. I remember when I was... Um, at Grace Community Church years ago, there was a church member there that I became very close with, and he and I would talk quite a bit, and he would say to me all the time, he'd say, Bo, I just, I struggle with having a relationship with God because I can't touch him. I can't see him. I can't, I can't kiss him. I can't hug him. I can't, you know, I, he said, I have kids, and, I, and people say I, I obsess over my kids, and he did obsess over his kids. Uh, he said, because I can hug him. I can, I, I can hold them. I, can, I can't do that with God. Well, let me say this. God is spirit. And we must worship him in spirit and truth, is what he told the Samaritan woman at the well. And that's not easy. That takes time. That takes effort. Now, again, in the kingdom of God, even though God is spirit, we will see the physical manifestation of God in Christ, because Jesus is still a human being, by the way. In, the, in heaven right now, Jesus is there in physical human flesh. But we will also see a, a greater physical manifestation of God who is spirit. I don't know what that's going to look like, but it will be amazing. When, I get, when we gather around his throne, we're not going to be staring at nothing. We're going to be staring at God, and you're going to need a resurrected set of eyeballs just to look at him. And that will be awesome. But right now, till that time comes, we worship God in spirit and truth, and that's hard. We have to be quiet. Sometimes we have to be alone. We have to open up his word and maybe just read one verse and say, God, help me. I don't know what this means. And we have to look at other Christians who are further down the line than us and say, how'd you get there? I have, a book, I have eight bookshelves full of books of Christians who I think are further down the line than I am. And when I open up a book written by John Piper or Mark Dever or Jerry Bridges, I'm saying, how'd you get there? Help me to get there. And I have people in my, in, my, in my office and we read the books together because I'm saying, this is how he said to get there. Let's go together, right? Because we want more of God. A spiritual relationship takes effort, but it's so worth it. It is so worth it. So we said the path of life is found in God's presence. The fullness of joy is found in God's presence. Number three, and finally, the source of pleasure is found in God's presence. Final part of verse 11 says, at your right hand are pleasures forevermore. 
Think about this. There's not one pleasure you have that God did not create. Stop and think about that. There's not one pleasure in your life that God did not create. I wrote down uh, what I think are some great pleasures, okay? Here's, here's a few that came to my mind. Taste buds, sexual intimacy, childlike laughter, warm campfires, cool ocean breezes, wet dog kisses, comforting words, lasting friendships, exciting sports moments, valuable antiques, good novels, beautiful sunsets, quiet sunrises, snowball fights, that's new to Metter, Georgia, and how about a greasy cheesesteak from South Philly or a cube steak from South Georgia? Those are some of my pleasures. What about you? Those are things that make life worth living, do they not? Some of the greatest pleasures of my life. Something, some of the simple things. You know, when Ashley and I are trying to fall asleep and uh, baby Ren is just cooing. You can hear her on the monitor just kind of cooing a little bit. You know, sweet little pleasures. Can I say something? God created all that. So why make those little pleasures our God when we can go to the source of all pleasure who is God Himself? And we do that by obeying Him and drawing close to Him. And instead, what human beings do is they find one of those small little pleasures and they seek after that, making that their God, and that can't fill your heart the way God can. It can't. Now again, in heaven... All pleasure will be maximized because in heaven we'll experience pleasure without pain. The Bible says that God will wipe away every tear and there will be no more pain and there will be no more death and no more separation. And so, yeah, down here we mix the bitter with the sweet, death and life. We have things that we greatly enjoy and, th- and pleasures that we're so grateful for, but those pleasures we sometimes wrestle with because we still have pain that we experience in this world. However, there's still a lot of pleasures of this life to enjoy, but they start in a relationship with God and being in His presence. Being in His presence. And, and let me make this tangible. Being in God's presence and experiencing pleasure that comes from Him means we take all the pleasures that, he, that I just mentioned and we put them in their proper place. Let me mention three that most people seek after to try to find pleasure. Sex. God intended for you to enjoy that. But when you take that outside the bed of marriage, you've lost the presence of God. And it will not be what it was intended to be. It may be fun for a moment, but God will not bless your relationship when you're outside the bed of marriage. What about just regular relationships, okay? There are some people who look at other people as nothing more than a means to get what they want. They're not your friend because they like you. They're your friend because they know they can get something from you. They're the type of people that when you need something, they're gone. But when they need something, they'll text you to the point that your phone explodes. But when you're worshiping God, you don't see people as a means to get what you want. You see people as human beings to be loved is the greatest command that God gives. To love Him and love others. And then what about money? All right, money. We talk about this all the time. We talked about it in our young adult study uh, last week. Uh, we, I repeat it every time I mention money. Money is not evil. It's the love of all money that is the root of all evil. But when we use money for God's glory, we can enjoy some of it. But when we keep it for ourselves, 
We'll never enjoy it for the way it was intended to be enjoyed. It was used of God for us to enjoy, but also to give, to build. We can experience fleeting pleasures or lasting joys, depending on how it is that we use these things in the context that God has given us. In the essence of time, I'll just move on to our conclusion, but I'll say that we, we know in our hearts. We know in our hearts when we're not doing everything God's called us to do, and we don't do those things because we think what we decided to do is going to bring us more pleasure. But you will not experience lasting pleasure outside the will of God. It may last for a season, but it sure, certainly won't last forever. How do I sum this up then? I think it's summed up more in a person than it is a sentence. I'd say we're offered the full potential of God's presence when we put our faith in the person and work of God's Son. I'm going to end it the way I started it. Jesus is the blessing. He is the blessing. God created you to be happy. You will not experience the fullness of that happiness if you do not have faith in Jesus Christ. And the reason why is God is the source of happiness and sin separates you from God. God loves you so much that he made a way for that sin to be removed so that you would have an unhindered relationship with God. Jesus is that path. He is plan A and there is no plan B. Now you may meet a non-Christian who seems happy but their happiness will not be lasting and it will certainly not be all that God intended for it to be. Again, Jesus is God's plan A and there is no plan B. So as we continue this sermon series and as you go home this afternoon and start thinking about what we talked about and you say, okay, Bo said that, it, that it, I'm pursuing happiness because God wired me that way, but God is the source of happiness. So if I want to be happy and have joy and pleasure in my life, I need to seek God. What do I do now? Well, if you're a Christian... You need to repent of your sin because your sin may be separating you from a greater sweetness of his presence. And you need to obey him and call out to him and read his word and ask him to draw close to you. If you're not a Christian, there's a brick wall that you will not cross through because only Jesus can cross through it for you. And you must put your faith in him and admit that you're a sinner. Admit that that sin has separated you from God, but that Jesus through his perfect life and his sinless, sinless uh, life and perfect resurrection from the dead and ascension to the Father. He did everything that was needed for you to have that relationship. So you need to put your faith in him, trust in him, and through Jesus, you will have the full potential of God's presence. Let's pray. Father, I confess before my brothers and sisters what I preach to them I desire so desperately in my life. Father, I confess that some days you feel so close and it's like the air I breathe and some days so far away it's like nothing more than a story I'm reading. I want more of you, Father. I want more of you for myself. I want more of you for my family. I want more of you for my church. I want more of you for Candler County. I want more of you for this world. Father, I just want more of you. Father, we know that your word is true and your word teaches us today that the path of life and the fullness of joy and the forevermore pleasures that you have for us all come at your presence. I want to know sweetness and joy that comes nothing from nothing other than just being in your presence. Father, would you be with us? Would you draw us close to you? Would your Holy Spirit abide in this room in such a way that when people walk into this sanctuary, they walk away saying, surely God was in that place. Let us know that this year. Let us know that this day. Be with us now, Father. 
as we continue to worship you in spirit and truth. In Jesus' name, amen.